my name is Tracy Carpenter and I'm a member with Restored Church. If you're new, welcome. We are glad that you tuned in. We believe that the church is a family and not just an event, and so we would love to connect with you. Uh, there are a few ways that you can do that. The first being um, through our website, which is www.restoredtemecula.church, um, and then click on contact. We also have a mobile app that you can get in the Apple or the Android app stores, and through that app you can see past um, messages, upcoming events, and other ways for us to connect. Um, so with all that said, we hope you enjoy the message. Brace yourself. Um, yeah, guys, I'm so excited for this season that we find ourselves in. A lot of ups, a lot of downs, a lot of challenges, but genuinely excited. If we haven't met yet, uh, my name's Tom. I have the privilege of providing leadership to the church as the lead pastor on eldership with my wife, Ebony, Herrick, and Heather Berga. Um, incredible, amazing family. And just, yeah, I, I feel so privileged to be part of this community, guys. I look around um, and see your faces, and I'm just like, man... What a privilege. God's kindness on my life. So yeah, this morning we are starting a new series. And this series, I really believe it's paramount. <clears throat> I feel like God is doing something really unique in this season. Uh, and there's a lot of challenges. This morning, I'm going to kind of have like a, this is going to be kind of a different uh, morning. Um, <clears throat> what I'm going to do is I'm basically going to spend a few weeks talking about where we currently are as a church. Sorry, in this series, we're going to spend a few weeks talking about where we are currently as a church and about what I'm convinced that God is preparing us for. Uh, we've entitled this series, Be Ready. Um, the harvest is plentiful. It's kind of the subtag. And when you hear that, if you're anything like me, your initial reaction might be like, oh, God, I need to brace myself. Do I need to add more kind of burdens onto my life? That's not where we're going with this. Um, I'll get into this in just a little bit, but I, before we kind of jump in, I want to set up our time by acknowledging um, how crazy the last 18 months have been. And we've talked about this fairly regularly, but like, I don't know if you're anything like me. I think there's still a bit of recoil in me when I'm like, my mind will, my, I'll fantasize almost about like kind of going back to, to normalcy like pre-2020 realities that were comfortable and, and you kind of find yourself drifting in there and then something smacks you in the face, whether it's you know, a, a news feed or whether it's a loved one, something that's happening in their life or there's a plethora of things. So I just want to take a moment and I want to kind of bring us back to what the last 18 months has been. And I know that some of you are upset right now because you're like, I've been trying to escape that. Don't bring it up again. We can't be people who do that. We can't, because if we do, we posture ourselves in a very dangerous place emotionally, a very dangerous place spiritually, and I would argue a very dangerous place physically. And that's not what God has for us, okay? So really quickly, the chaos that was the last 18 months, COVID, all of the things, right? The trauma of lockdown, all the social unrest, all the racial tension and pain, the, the, the mental, emotional health. Guys, it's at like an all-time low, at least in my lifetime and in all of us, I would argue all of our lifetimes in the room. Significant mental and emotional stuff going down. Financial uncertainty, political turmoil. And, and honestly, for me, this is my opinion, the most appalling thing of all is the seemingly 
almost completely disregarding children. Just like, we don't, we're just going to set them aside and life is going to, you just see kids dealing with all these things in such formative developmental stages of their life that they really shouldn't have to deal with. But they are. Why? Because the world's broken. Because sin is real. The effects of sin are real. And all of us, every single one of us in the room have dealt with this in a very personal way in the last 18 months. This isn't the kind of, uh, we don't live in an age or we're not living in an hour where it only happens to some people and we're kind of aware of it, which is like typical American living almost. It's everybody globally has experienced unique suffering. Our church specifically, I want to address some things really, really quickly. The struggles that all of us have, have experienced in the last 18 months. There's been significant health battles. Those of you that are experiencing that, loved ones experiencing that, I want you to hear me say this. You are seen and you are loved. Many of you lost people close to you, whether it's to COVID complications or other things. Hear me. You're seen in that place and you're loved. Uh, it's important to talk about this. People of color navigating the emotional and practical complexities around race. Hear me. You're seen and you're loved. Police officers, firefighters, first responders. Man, frontline work of seeing brokenness happen in, in society, right? And you've experienced the hurt and the challenges of being in public service when the public you serve sometimes view you as a threat. Oh, hear me. You're seen and you're loved. Healthcare professionals have that front row seat at watching the devastation of death and bureaucracy and fear cause much turmoil in people. You're seen and you're loved. Teachers and administrators, many teachers and administrators in our church, man, dealing with the frustrations and the painful realities that your students are facing that you seemingly can't do anything about, you're seen and you're loved. Parents, all the struggles with kids, like, God, our children, our youth, guys, I'm like so burdened by this one. And when I say our children and our youth, here's what I mean by that. Whether you are a biological parent or not, we are a family. We're God's family. That's what the church is. And God has entrusted the next generation to our care. What a privilege. What a privilege. This generation of children and youth have been through, like, so much, man. So much. In such important stages of development. Kids, youth in the room, like, you are seen and you are loved, okay? Why do I say all that? Last week, we kind of talked about this. I mean, God did some really profound things last week at Gathering. But there is significant suffering that many of us have experienced and are currently experiencing. Like many of us, in the middle of the storm, and whether we like it or not, our entire planet is in the middle of this storm. I've been tempted to try to escape from it, and like, I don't want to deal with it. And if we do that, we're in a very dangerous place, friends. A very dangerous place. So I want to be clear about what this series that we're starting this morning, I want to be clear about what this series is not, okay? This series is not like a rally cry, to, like let's try harder and live better. That's not what this is about. It's not an attempt to throw a heavier load onto your already weary shoulders. 
we're to brush suffering under the rug and like get to work, get over it. That's not what we're doing here. So when we talk about being ready, we'll break it down, but that's not what we're doing. This series is a response to what I'm convinced that God is up to. We want to be a prophetic people, discerning God's voice. What's he doing? What's he up to? And how can we participate with that? Okay, and what I believe he's inviting us into, and that is simply this, friends. I believe God is inviting all of us, every single one of you in the room, into the joy of salvation right now. The joy of salvation, both for us and for others. Okay, so my goal with today's message is to kind of like set the table for this series and we're going to revisit much of what I talk about this morning in weeks to come. But go ahead and grab your Bible. We're going to start in Mark chapter 15 this morning. Mark chapter 15. You guys are quiet. It's okay. I know I just talked about somber stuff. But it's funny. Um, Herrick's under-caffeinated this morning. I have a confession to make. I'm overly caffeinated this morning. So I'm like kind of jittery. I'm like, I need just need to, if I pace, that's why. I need to let it out. It's got to get out somehow. If I yell at you, it's not because I'm angry. I'm just... I had one too many shots of espresso, so. Mark chapter 15, that's where we're gonna be. I wanna pray for our time. You guys with me, okay? Uh, I really want you to give me your ears as much as you can this morning, okay? Because I think there's some significant deposits and significant direction that I believe God wants to take us as a church. That's the heart behind this. Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, we look to you and you alone. God, you are seeking the renewal of all things right now in every area of our life, in every area of creation. And so we invite you, would you teach us, would you guide us, would you help me, Lord? I don't want to say or do anything that gets in the way of what you want to do. So open our hearts, point us to Jesus, to the realities that you are, are inviting us into, and bless us this morning. We love you. And all God's people said, amen. Okay, so Mark chapter 15, <clears throat> a little context for you. We're going to start in verse 42. But at this point, Jesus has been crucified, okay? He's been crucified, and at this point in the scriptures, Jesus is dead, okay? God in the flesh, in Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 42, God in the flesh is dead. Let's, re let's read it. It says this, when it was already evening, because it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, say Joseph of Arimathea, great pronunciation. I saw you, Jeff. You didn't say it out loud. I'm, I'm hurt. <laughs> Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the Sanhedrin, who was himself looking forward to the kingdom of God, came and boldly went to Pilate and asked for Jesus's body. Get the picture here. Pilate was surprised that he was already dead. So summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he had already died. When he found out from the centurion, he gave the corpse to Joseph. Listen to this, verse 46. After he, Joseph, brought some linen cloth, Joseph took him down and wrapped him in linen. Jesus' body took him down. Joseph took his body down and wrapped him in linen. Then he laid him in a tomb, cut out of the rock, and rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. All right. I spend my mornings, as many mornings as I possibly can, if at all possible, I spend my mornings with Jesus, 
like the word of God open, God reveal truth to me, remind me of how much you love me, remind me of who I am in you so that I can face my day. That's just how I start my day. And in January of this year, I want to read you something that I wrote in my prayer journal that morning because it, it just like, I feel like God spoke to me. From this passage, Mark's gospel tells us that it is a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea who physically took Jesus' lifeless body off the cross. In addition, it was Joseph of Arimathea who provided both the linen and the tomb for Jesus' body. It was Joseph of Arimathea who cared for Jesus' battered and lifeless body before it was resurrected to new life by the power of God three days later. The season we find ourselves in as the church, both locally and globally, is one of being beat down, of being battered, and of being seemingly defeated by the darkness and brokenness of the hour. The church is increasingly getting more divided. So much of the church is depressed, distraught, and maybe worst of all for some, apathetic. Circumstantially, the body of Christ is in bad shape. Friends, I feel like we are in a Joseph of Arimathea season. Okay? A season to care for Jesus' broken body and a season of preparing the body. But hear me, the preparation is not for the body's burial. The preparation is not for the body's ultimate demise, but rather for what comes next, which is what? glorious resurrection, new life. I'm convinced, guys, that God is speaking to us. I'm convinced that a season is coming for the body of Christ, for us, for you and me in this room, where the power of God will be on display in spectacular, glorious, and maybe even historic ways. Resurrection life, man. Resurrection life the kingdom of God breaking into brokenness and suffering and pain and disorder and division. I'm speaking about revival in the church and I'm also speaking about spiritual awakening outside of the church. So hear me. (laughs) The heart behind this series is this one simple question. Will we be ready Will we be ready? Um, there's an old fable that I'm sure many of you in the room have heard before, but it's this fable of this farmer and uh, his society is in the middle of this massive drought and this guy is outside in the blazing heat and it's like a dust bowl. It's super hot. I mean, it's like the kind of hot where like if you're out there for five minutes, you get a massive sunburn. It is like, it's so dry and parched and he's out there and he's plowing his field. And his friends and his family and his neighbors are like, dude, what are you doing? We're in the middle of this massive drought. Like, why are you wasting your time? And the guy responds with something profound. The guy responds to them, the farmer responds to them, he says, I'm preparing for rain. Friends, we're in a season unlike any other seasons in any of our lifetime, okay? You, can li- you could liken it to a massive drought, okay? All of creation, every nation on earth, not just America, is in desperate need of living water. 
Massive drought, okay? Suffering, we talked about this, has touched every person on earth in a distinct and profound and personal way in the last 18 months that has drastically changed everything around us. And there are few things, friends, like suffering to sober us up. There are few things like suffering to kind of plow the soil of our heart. It, it, suffering has this way of, of wakening us up, of, of sobering us up to what really matters in life, to, to how fragile and short life really is, to, to an, an awareness of just how needy all of us really are. We think we're these like strong, self-reliant people. Many of you are really intelligent, really capable, really strong individuals. And then suffering outside of your control happens and you're waking up to like, oh, wait a second, there's things that are beyond my control, holy smokes. Suffering has a way of waking us up, guys, an awareness of just how needy we truly, truly are and how, listen to me, how anything good that happens is God's grace on us. Don't forget, we live in a fallen world. When God intervenes, it's grace. Anytime he intervenes. And interestingly enough, the effects of suffering, they don't all happen at once. Okay, so it wasn't like, you know, March 2020, all of the suffering, we realize all of it in that moment. It's like a trickle effect almost. Um, you guys remember September 11th, 9-11? Most of you in the room were alive when this happened. I recognize that some of you weren't, which is fine. But devastating day, right? The, the Twin Towers, the planes falling into Twin Towers. Lots of people lost their life. Lots of damage, lots of turmoil, lots of suffering, okay? And it, it like kind of had ripple effects all throughout the nation and even through the world. It was this traumatic event and I would say world history, but especially in American history. A lot of feelings of unsettledness and fear and all the things. And there's a pastor who's had a really big influence on my life. His ministry, his theology is just wonderful. His name's Tim Keller. He's a pastor in, um, in New York City. And he talks about how, like, right after September 11th, he goes, the churches, like, the gatherings were full. People were coming out of the woodworks, man. People who had never, ever even considered religion, let alone Christianity or Jesus, they're flocking to the church because they're, they're so disoriented and the pain and the suffering of that moment was so severe. So he goes literally like the days after, like right away, the church is packed. The gatherings are packed. But as much as it was gathering people and it was, it was, it was doing something, he said something profound kind of looking back on it. He said, he said, New York City didn't truly come to grips with the effects of September 11th until about two years later. He goes, people were feeling stuff right away, but the real effects, the reality of the suffering, it didn't really fully kick in until about two years later when the reality of that suffering became really clear, right? All the death, all the destruction, the lingering health effects, right? The physical health stuff, the mental health stuff, the emotional health stuff. The fullness of that suffering didn't come into focus until about two years later. You could think of it almost like a tea kettle. Some of you guys, some of you crazy people that enjoy tea more than coffee, you guys know what I'm talking about. Tea kettle, right? You, you put it on the fire. You fill it with water and you place it on the flame, right? So the tea kettle, it encounters that flame, but it doesn't like boil and start to whistle right away. It takes a little bit of time, right? But after a while, that flame starts to cause a boil, and then that boil and the steam, right? It starts to shoot out the top and make that whistling sound. It takes some time for the fullness of suffering to really surface, to really come clear. 
Hear me. Similarly, we are facing the reality of our corporate suffering, not just here, but our nation, the corporate suffering coming more into focus over time. March of 2020 was like lighting the flame. It was like placing the tea kettle on the flame. And every single one of us has been simmering for 18 months. And we try to pretend like the bad stuff doesn't happen or the painful stuff doesn't happen. We want to like, I don't want to deal with that. We've been simmering for 18 months. And hear me, it's only a matter of time until it starts to boil over. And we're already starting to see this a little bit. And listen, if it's anything like the two-year timetable of September 11th was, we're getting really close to seeing this come fully into focus, the reality of collective suffering and the effects on each individual in a personal way. Friends, I believe this is a Joseph of Arimathea season. I believe it's a season where God is calling us to care for the body of Christ in radical ways, okay? To love each other in our times of need, like when the water really starts to come to a boil. And let me just say this really, really quickly. You guys do this so well. You guys are the most amazing community. You do this so well. It glorifies Jesus. I love the phrase, I think it's Leslie Newbigin talks about like this idea of living in such a way that demands a gospel explanation because it doesn't make sense to people who have never encountered the good news of Jesus, the sacrificial love of Jesus, the generosity of Jesus, the living for the benefit of others like Jesus. Like when people don't, they don't have that framework and they encounter those types of acts of love happening, it freaks them out in the best way. You guys do this so well. I'm so privileged to be part of this community. Like you, you gospel communities, the ways that you guys serve and love each other and the ways that you're growing and serving and loving each other is, listen to me, it's beautiful. It's radical. It's different than the world does. And it's because we're people who have received a great love. Amen, sister. Shout for joy. Shout for joy. It's because, hear me, it's because we've been people who have received that same radical love. And it empowers us to deliver it and to distribute it. You with me in this? Okay. We're the church. We love each other in radical ways because we've been loved in radical ways. So hear me. As we care for Jesus' body in its brokenness, we prepare the body, not for burial, but for resurrection life, for the newness that's coming, okay? For the kingdom of God to break in. And I believe, I'm convinced, guys, with everything in my being, I'm convinced that God wants us to be ready for the opportunities that are coming our way. The opportunity is to love the way that he loves. This is a season about preparing for rain. It's coming. New life is coming. Guys, that's what God does. That's who he is. He's a redeemer. He's a restorer. He's the renewer. Like, he resurrects what Satan tries to kill. It's what he does. And it's coming. Now, for the rest of my time, I just want to kind of go through a handful of passages, but there's two that I want, to, I want to take you to specifically that really set things up that are kind of foundational for where we're headed in this series. Okay, the first one is this, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. Go ahead and flip there. If you guys want to throw those words on the screen quick. 
2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. You've heard this before, I'm sure, but listen in. I'm going to read it. <clears throat> Paul is writing to his son in the faith, Timothy, and he says this. I, Paul, solemnly charge you before God in Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead. Put that in your back pocket. Judge the living and the dead. And because of his appearing in his kingdom, this is what he says. Listen, preach the word. And then what does it say? I can't hear you. Be ready. ready. Yeah, great. Be ready in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and teaching. Friends, this passage is an appeal. It's an, it's an appeal from Paul to Timothy to be ready at all times to preach the word, he says. To preach the word. When it says the word, it's talking about the gospel. The, word, the Greek word there is logos, L-O-G-O-S in, in, in English letters. Logos, it's, it's the same word if you read John chapter one when it says the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. It, that's the same word there for word, it's logos. So I want you to connect the dots of, of God's communicative power, his word, becoming fleshed to reveal what God is like to creation through Jesus. That's logos, that's the word. And that's what Paul is appealing to Timothy to be ready at all times and in all seasons to preach. Preach Jesus. The word is Jesus. The good news of Jesus, the person of Jesus. And listen, this doesn't just apply to Timothy, okay? Stay with me. This is not just Timothy's gig. It's not just written to other pastors. Timothy was a pastor. It's not just like written to church leaders. It applies to all disciples, all followers of Jesus. A disciple is someone who's learned to enjoy him, obey him, and operate like him in every single area of life. That's who this is written to. And if you don't believe me, let me just pull it. Jesus, he talks about this. Mark chapter 16, verse 15, really quickly. This is Jesus speaking to his followers, speaking his disciples, dare I say, speaking to you and me. It says this, then he, Jesus, said to them, plural, go into all the world and preach what? The gospel, yes, to all creation, okay? So listen to me. The call to preach the gospel is for every disciple. We talk about this often. There's not varsity Christians and junior varsity Christians. There's not varsity disciples and junior varsity disciples. There are children of God in his family who are learning to enjoy him, obey him, and operate like him. That's it, okay? Paul is saying here to be ready to preach the gospel to each other in the time of need, in the season of need. This is a season, right? Don't let the season determine your readiness. Don't let your circumstances determine whether you're ready for this. Even if you're in a drought, prepare for rain. You with me? Thanks for being gracious with my slip of tongue. Um, recently, a friend of mine, a friend of ours, uh, <clears throat> she opened up in a really cool way. And she started just kind of to share some of, some of the unique ways that suffering has touched her life from the last 18 months and how it's impacting her right now. And she just basically shared really vulnerably, really, honestly, really maturely, like some of the insecurities that she's experiencing in her job. And here's the thing, guys. By all indicators, like she's more than competent. Like she's actually really good at what she does. I mean, she's got over a decade of experience Okay, 
She has a track record of doing a great job. But she started to notice that, that some of these insecurities were, were popping up, and she was honest about them, right? And some of these insecurities specifically, they were directly related to some of her unique suffering from the past 18 months. And these insecurities, they dealt with two specific things. They dealt with her ability to do her job well and how others might view her. So I'm sure none of you guys can relate to this, okay? <clears throat> when she, when she, the moment she, she shined light onto the reality of how she was feeling, the moment she brought those things up, there's the Joseph of Arimathea opportunity to care for the body, for Christ's body, to, to, to wrap the body with the linen of the gospel. Friends, do you know what the gospel has to say about what she was experiencing? Like, the gospel says that God alone qualifies her. It's not primarily her work experience or her job performance that validates her. Instead, it's Jesus' perfect performance in her place that justifies her. And hear me, no person on earth can trump that. Jesus is Lord. He's the king. He's the maker of truth. The gospel frees her to work hard, not for validation, but from validation. Because she already has it in Christ. And because of that, her, now her job, it serves a very different purpose in her life than validating her or, or proving to others that she's worth something or all the things. It's very different. The gospel says that God is fully pleased with her. Like the gospel says that she's clothed in the righteousness of Jesus and nothing can change that. That's what's true in the gospel of Jesus. Nothing can separate her from God's love for her. Not anyone else's opinion, not even her own opinion in moments of weakness or feeling insecure. Joseph of Arimathea opportunities. Will we be ready with the good news of the gospel, not if, but when the opportunities arise? Or, or listen, or will we be people who drift into religion? Like, oh, girl, you got years of experience. Don't worry about it. You have a degree, you're trained. Don't worry about it. You, 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 what you've done, right? Religion reinforces what you do. The gospel reinforces what God has done. You see the difference? One has a lot of power. One has zero power. Her resume, it wasn't powerful enough to conquer the temptations to feel insecure. And her resume is awesome. It wasn't powerful enough to conquer the temptations to feel insecure. But do you know what is powerful enough? The gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power for salvation unto all who believe and all of us, we have like gospel amnesia. We believe at one moment and then we stop believing at the next and then the insecurities and the fear and the depression and all this stuff comes. You with me? The gospel of Jesus is powerful enough. The good news of who he is, of what he's accomplished through Jesus and of what that, meant for, of what that means for her in every single area of her life, especially the painful areas. We are the body of Christ. 
interdependent, friends. Not independent, which is dependent on self. Not codependent, which is dangerous. Interdependent. It means, it means two things. And we're going to come back to this idea that I'm about to share with you all throughout the series. All of us are in need. That's why I spent like 10 minutes setting up this series going, hey, all of us have suffered. Can we please agree? All of us have suffered. As much as we try to escape it, it's real. All of us are in need and all of us are needed. If you're taking notes, write that one down. Actually, maybe let me frame it this way. You are in need. You are in need and you are needed. We'll talk more about this in the weeks to come. Here's one of the things, that, how this fleshes out really quickly. You can rehearse the gospel with yourself, but you cannot preach it to yourself. You can meditate on it when it's beautiful and it's important and it's powerful. And you can rehearse it in your mind and you can, you can fight to believe it. It's awesome. But do you know what happens when somebody preaches it to you? Do you know what happens when someone says, that's not true. Your value is not determined by your work performance. Your resume does not determine your value or your worth. When somebody else tells you, hey, that's a lie. What's true about you is that God fully, he fully delights in you because of Jesus. You're clothed in Jesus's righteousness. He sees and knows every single thing about you and is passionate about your sanctification and pouring out his love and grace and mercy on you at all times. That's what's true. There's something really powerful about it. And the opportunities are all around us all the time within the body of Christ. That's why Paul writes to Timothy, be ready. Don't, don't worry about the season. You gotta be ready to do what? To preach truth. Because there's nothing like suffering. Suffering, like in the wake of suffering, the enemy comes in with all these deceitful lies. If God, does God really love you? Like, if he really loved you, this wouldn't have happened. Lies. You can rehearse the gospel with yourself, but you cannot preach it to yourself. We need each other, friends. You are in need and you are needed. Friends, I'm convinced more Joseph of Arimathea opportunities are coming to care for the body in its brokenness. All of us are needed and all of us are in need. Will we be ready? Will we be ready with the gospel when the opportunities come? Or will we preach something else that doesn't have any power? Um, one of the things that I feel like the Spirit just keeps bringing to mind, especially over the course of the last 18 months, is the, like the effects of sin. This is super basic and super elementary, but I feel like I'm, I lose sight on it sometimes when different things happen in the church or in different people's life that I love. Like, the result of sin, the effects of sin is brokenness. Things are the way they're not supposed to be, right? We can agree with that. So literally, like, sin is disintegrating creation. We're now separated from God, and now we're separated from each other. So hear me. The trajectory, because of sin, the trajectory, the flow, the stream of reality now is, the flow is to divide. It's to separate. So it takes work. It takes effort to, go, to combat that because the trajectory of sin is separation because sin divides.
Because of sin, we're being continuously pulled apart. Friends, Joseph of Arimathea opportunities are all around us. But do you know what other opportunities are all around us? Opportunities to divide. Can I just be vulnerable with you for a second? They already need to edit out my terrible flub. Um, Listen, opportunities, Joseph Arimathea opportunities all around us. Opportunities to divide equally, if not more, all around us. To divide over COVID issues? Like pro-vaccine, anti-vaccine, pro-mask, anti-mask, pro-mandate, anti-mandate. Political ideologies? The essence of a political ideology is worldly. Do you know what kind of government we have in heaven? (laughs) There's one king. He's not elected. (laughs) But like, I'm watching people I love get radically divided. Christians, radically divided because of political ideologies. Like, Listen, as if political ideology is a higher authority than God's call to love your neighbor as yourself. And like, there's not a caveat to that. There's not a caveat. Love others if they see things the same way you do. Or if their experience is the same experience that you have. Let me just read this to you. I want, like, this wrecks me because I'm just as guilty of anybody in the room as this. Luke chapter six, the words of Jesus, 27 through 32. This is Jesus talking about love, <laughs> which will mess you up. But I say to you who listen, I love that he says to you who listen, love your enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. Imagine what he would have us to do with people who disagree with us. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other also. If anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks you. And from someone who takes your things, don't ask for them back. Just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. Look at this verse 32. This is crazy. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. or agree with them, or hold the same opinion as them. Hear me, friends. This is not, I'm not trying to say this to condemn you. I'm saying this as like a wake up. Like, please, please, please don't let the enemy deceive you into causing division in the church. There are plenty of opportunities to divide. But hear me, division only happens when love becomes less important than something else. And in the process, we boot Jesus off the throne and we put someone or something else there in his place. Political ideologies are a big one right now. Be careful. Be careful. I'm not anti-voting. I'm not anti-trying to bring the kingdom of God through politics. I think we ought to. It's good. Be careful. Tread lightly because Satan is cunning. Friends, the gospel has the power to unite people who are radically different. Imagine how the world would respond when they see people who are radically different, radically loving each other. Again, live in such a way that demands a gospel explanation. It has an effect on the world. Like even people who oppose each other can be united in the gospel. How? 
How does the gospel have the power to unite people who are radically different or who really oppose each other with ideologies? How? Because the gospel levels the playing field, man. It levels the playing field. We are all sinners saved by grace alone. The ground is level at the foot of the cross, man. It's not like Hitler's here, Jesus is here, and I'm here, but you're kind of closer to Hitler, so this, that's not how it works. The perfection and the glory of Jesus and fallen sinners like me and like you. We're all sinners saved by grace alone. It's a gift so that no one can boast. That means I'm not better than you, even if I disagree with you. You're not better than me, even if you disagree with me. And if we start to take that posture, it's because something else has trumped King Jesus in our heart. There's something more true than what he says, his rule, his reign, his decrees. The gospel of Jesus is so powerful, friends. We can't ever be people who move on from it. The gospel has the power to destroy pride and unite people far from each other. That's my story. I was far from God and guess what he did? He reunited me with himself through his grace, his love, and his mercy that was undeserved. And now we are people who live that out with each other on a daily basis. That's why Jesus has the audacity to say, love your enemies, because he did. I'm standing here with you because of that. It changed my life. It's changing my life every day. And I know many of you agree. Quick note. Um, this is something I'm slightly concerned about. Again, this is very different preach if you're new with us. I usually will just exposit the Bible. Um, I don't know if you know this. The church, since its birth, right after Jesus' resurrection, right? The church, every 500 years or so, goes through a divide. It goes through a split. Happened first century with circumcision. Read the book of Galatians, right? You have to be circumcised. No, you don't have to be circumcised. It's this divisive thing. First century, Right? Sixth century, about 500 years later, monasticism divides the church. 500 years later, 1054 AD, the Catholic church separates from the Eastern Orthodox church. Another division. 1517, the Reformation. Amazing time in church history, right? Martin Luther, the other reformers, separate from the Catholic church as well. It's 2021. We're at the 500-year mark once again. And according to the pattern of history, we're due for another big divide in the body of Christ. I can't help but wonder, will it be political ideologies that cause the next major divide in the church? Where people justify lacking love for their neighbor or even their enemy because I disagree with their, their perspective. Will COVID end up being the new circumcision? Me and Herrick were talking about that for weeks. It feels like it's going to. It's not the spirit of God leading the way in that. Mark my words, friends. Wherever the gospel stops being at the center, wherever the gospel stops being like the whole point, wherever the gospel is set aside in favor of something else, Various flavors of pride will rise up in people and the outcome will be division. And the call to radically love the way we've been loved is set aside. But, but, <laughs> wherever the gospel reigns supreme, there will be 
beautiful unity amongst diversity. Differences. There will be deep and profound Christ-like love. That's heaven on earth, friends. That's what heaven's going to be like, right? Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Different cultures, different customs, all coming together under one banner, under one name. Whose is it? Yes, baby, Jesus. So guys, please hear me. We find ourselves in a moment in time where there are tremendous opportunities, man. Joseph of Arimathea opportunities to care for the body in its brokenness or opportunities to divide. But the gospel, that's why it's everything to us. It's our hope. It's the power for salvation, man. Not just going to heaven when you die. Heaven coming into your heart and your life and your mind and your body and your soul now has the power to unite us even while the effects of sin are continuously attempting to pull us apart. It's the trajectory of reality. That's why God's grace is so powerful. It intervenes, it can bring unity. One more important passage for this time. I'm almost done. Matthew chapter nine. Joseph of Arimathea, season, caring for the body. Matthew chapter nine, verses 35 through 38. You guys still with me? Great. says this. Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. Pause really quick. I don't think it's a coincidence that we're experiencing the amount of numerical miraculous healings in our community that we have the last three months. Let's keep going preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness. Verse 36, when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he felt what? Compassion, stay with me. Compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Okay, really quickly. It said these sheep that aren't in Jesus' flock, they're distressed and dejected, right? In the Greek, distress, the word that they translated distress, it means to suffer trouble, to be afflicted. And the dejected verse there in the Greek It's this idea of like sad and helplessness. Jesus says that these people are suffering. They're afflicted. They're sad. And they're helpless. That means they can't change it in and of themselves. Is that not what's happening all around us right now? Is is that not like the perfect description of, for our reality as a nation, as a country, as a city, as a valley, as a church even. I'd like to propose something to you. I'd like to propose that the condition we find ourselves mirror these conditions that Jesus is describing here. And it's these very conditions that he says the harvest is abundant. Now when we talk about harvest, what is that? There's farmers in the room. You guys could break this down better than I could. Simple, right? It's when a crop is gathered or collected. It's harvest. It's ready to be gathered and collected, so we go out and we gather it and we collect it. So a harvest, it always results in separation from the field. Are you with me? Always. Harvest, this imagery is all over the Bible. 
right? It's this picture of spiritual rescue of people gathered into the joy of salvation instead of the devastation of eternal judgment. Let me read you something really quick from John the Baptist. Matthew chapter three, verse 11 and 12, he says this. It's the precursor to Jesus' ministry to repent. I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who is coming after me, Jesus the Christ, right, is more powerful than I. I am not worthy to remove his sandals. He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. <laughs> his winnowing shovel, this is like, farming tool stuff, is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with fire that never goes out. Friends, the harvest is spiritual rescue from eternal judgment, from from the punishment for sins against God and sins against other people. Interestingly, the, the Hebrew word for judgment is the word krino. This is what it means. Judgment is what it means. To separate, to make a distinction between, to choose. Sounds a lot like what a farmer does during harvest, don't you think? And back in verse 36, it said, Jesus felt compassion for these sheep. Hear me. Some of you need to know. Jesus is driven by his compassion. Like he has compassion in his heart, burning in his heart. It's who he is. He sees these sheep and how they're suffering. And again, he's specifically referencing sheep that aren't in his flock. Sheep that are without a shepherd. So listen, just as we've been talking about, there will be Joseph of Arimathea opportunities amongst the flock there will be opportunities outside of the flock as well. Massive opportunities. Because the soil of people's hearts has been plowed through suffering and uncertainty and worry and anxiety and fear. And oh my goodness, maybe me being in control isn't the best thing. Oh my goodness, I'm actually not in control. Holy smokes. You with me? Okay. I'll close with this. I want to call the band up. Ministry team, would you guys come over to the side too? That'd be a great help. All right. Joseph of Arimathea, opportunities to care for the body, right? Within the flock of God, the church, and harvesting opportunities outside the flock. Be ready, right? Um, Probably two or three weeks ago, um, I was taking my trash out. And my trash cans were at the curb, you know, like in the front of your house. And I'm really good about getting my trash cans out in time because I don't want the, the trash truck to miss us and then have like, you know, recycling bin that's overflowing. I'm great at getting it out on time. I'm not so great at putting away right away. Hence me taking my trash out to the front yard instead of the backyard. So I'm doing this, and it's fairly early in the morning. It's probably 8 o'clock. And a neighbor of mine, uh, I see her, and I, I say hello. Just like, hey, like, hi, <laughs> like nothing crazy. 
and she starts like talking. She starts like sharing stuff in her life. Keep something in mind. This is a neighbor who we've been like legitimately praying for for years and haven't had a meaningful conversation for a plethora of reasons, none of which are our desire to not engage. We want to know our neighbors. We want to develop relationship, even friendship with them. And in a relationship that was very clear, like, nope, they don't know I'm a pastor, nah. She starts sharing. She starts talking to me. She starts opening up with me and telling me really vulnerable, painful things. The last 18 months, she's experienced unique suffering. And she starts telling me about it. Haven't had my coffee yet. All I want to do is pull a shot of espresso and chill and read my Bible. So she starts opening up, starts sharing more stuff. Guys, I end up having this incredible God encounter, the presence of God in thick and tangible ways, just because I listened to her and I was like, oh man, she doesn't know the gospel. I said, can I pray for you? She's like, yeah, absolutely. This is a woman who wouldn't talk to me the prior three or four years. And if she did, it was super surface level. Yeah, yeah, pray for me. I'd love that. So I just prayed over her, prayed the truth of the gospel over her. And she's weeping on her front porch. Friends, the harvest is abundant, man. Will we be ready with the gospel when the opportunities arise? Or will we avoid them? I'm not just talking about adults, guys. I'm not just talking about adults. Our kids, our kids. Can we just be real for a second? Can we not assume that they're Christians? All of them yet? I think it would be irresponsible for us to do that. Our children. Guys, I believe that children and youth are a huge part of this being ready idea, like massive. Um, I've referenced this before. I know I'm going long, but stay with me, okay? This is super important. Um, There's been a study recently. It was done called The Great Opportunity. I'm gonna summarize it for you really quickly. It basically says that if the current trends continue in America in the next 30 years, so basically the next generation, 42 million American children will leave the church. 42, zero, 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 zero. And FYI, this study was done before COVID and all the devastation that COVID's caused. But the study says, it's called the great opportunity, there's hope. But if we return to just the retention rates for children like we saw 20 years ago, it says this, quote, more people will be saved than during both great awakenings in American history, the African-American church growth after the Civil War, the Azusa revivals, and listen to this, and every Billy Graham conversion. The harvest is abundant, and it's not just for adults, friends. Our church, just so that you know, just to give you, kind of give you some context, our tiny little church in Temecula, California, 97 children, 
ages zero to 17 whose parents are in gospel community or who come to this Sunday worship gathering regularly. Okay, that's not, doesn't count like occasional visitors. You saw it when we sent the kids off, three quarters of the room left. Like, that's just since March of this year, 97 children and youth. Do you know what the average size church in America is? 75 people, 97 kids. Hear me. I'm convinced, guys. I believe that there will be tremendous opportunities to love children and youth, love them into the kingdom of God. In the same way Jesus loved you into the kingdom of God. So, in order to be ready, one of the things we need, I'm pleased to announce that we're financially investing in this as a church. In order to build out a robust and intentional discipleship environment for youth, I'm so stoked to tell you that in October, Dorian is gonna be coming on staff as our youth director. Yes, honor him, bless him. Dorian, just so you guys know, he's got years of experience mentoring and ministering to young people. But more than that, he's a man who knows the love and grace of God and it's transformed his life. We trust him, we love him, we have so much confidence in him. Something that you need to be aware of, just transparency. We wanna be very, very transparent when it comes to anything regarding money with the church. Our current monthly giving is not enough to cover the added expense to the budget. But, like, we're going to have to dip pretty significantly into our savings each month to make this happen. But we have reserves, so we can do that. But those reserves are only going to last so long, okay? I want you to hear me say this. Herrick and I are convinced this is what God is leading us into. It's not like a, a twisting of the arm of the congregation to, uh, to achieve our agenda. It's, God, what are you up to? In what, in what ways do we need to trust you and step into obedience and faith to see, to be ready? We have a lot of kids. He's entrusted them to our care. What are we gonna do? So I wanna put this before you to encourage you to give generously, to invest in the harvest, not just of adults, but of kids. To ask those of you the question, if you're not currently giving, just in love. If not, why not? God's the giver of everything we have. We're stewards and we get to, not only do you get to give it back to him as an act of worship, but genuinely as an investment in furthering his kingdom. I can't think of a better investment than that, man, than seeing kids and young people rescued into God's kingdom. So I wanna ask you one more thing. Save the date. All parents meeting on October 24th, right after gathering from 1230 to 2.30. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going I'm I'm to break down the vision for discipleship from kids, infant to 18, intentionality in every single stage that all the parents need to know about. If you're not a biological parent, I still encourage you to come because these are our kids. You'll also get to hear directly from Dorian and Tracy. They're going to be there to answer any questions you have and, and break some other things down as well. Guys, I'm so excited about this. The great opportunity. What Satan means for evil, God means for good. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> Joseph of Arimathea opportunities of caring for the body of all ages and harvesting opportunities for those currently outside of God's flock. Will 
we be ready when the opportunities come? They're coming. We'll flush this out more in the weeks to come. Let me pray for us. I'm asking to stand if you're able and pray with me quickly. Thank you. Don't, you don't leave us alone. You're always pursuing us. You're always inviting us into deeper realities of your love. That's what the gospel is. It's the greatest healing power in the universe. It's the power to unite different people and make them family that has the power to heal anything, that has the power to heal relationships, division. It has the power to make enemies sons and daughters. That's my story. It's everyone's story in this room who's in Christ. And it's everyone's story for whom the harvest is abundant. It's plentiful. And so, Father, I pray right now that in this season that we're in, that you would give us eyes to see each other, within the body of Christ, that these Joseph of Arimathea opportunities to care for the body and prepare it for its resurrection, that we'd embrace those. And that we'd also, within our, within our small little spheres of our lives, that we'd work together, not in isolation, but together as the body to identify needs that you might be inviting us to apply the healing ointment of the gospel onto and watch your kingdom expand. Lead us in this, Holy Spirit. Help us to be ready. Help us to be ready because your kingdom's coming. We love you. Amen. All right, so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna spend the next 10 minutes, the remainder of our gathering, responding. It's not enough time, but it's time. So because we're at limited time, I can't encourage you enough. If you need prayer for anything, if there's fear in your heart for how to talk to your kids about Jesus, if there's fear in your heart for approaching a friend or a brother or sister in a gospel community with some sensitive areas in your life or in theirs, if whatever it is, whatever you need, go to the king. These people are trusted. They are, are here to be able to minister to you, not with advice, not with things of worldly power, but with the gospel of Jesus, with what's true, okay? The band's gonna minister to us, join in praise. God's worth it, he's good. He's a God who makes enemies like me, sons, and enemies like you, children of God. It's who he is, and he's not stopping. He's gonna keep going. Love you guys very much. You guys can have a seat. because I'm caffeinated now. So I want to leave three things with you. If, if you're a note taker, three things to write down to walk away from this message. Uh, there's an opportunity to, to be ready for the harvest. And I think there's specifically three things that as a, as a church, as gospel communities, we're called to in this season. We're called to grow in, number one, gospel fluency. Tom talked about that. 
It's this idea of like getting, like the, the story that Tom told about how our identity that Jesus gives us is indestructible, even though our identity that our workplace can give us or our career can give us is destructible. It's fragile. We want to grow together in a gospel identity by becoming a community of people that know how to speak truth to each other in love. Gospel fluency, number one. Number two, gospel ministry. But also what Tom talks about, that sense of like looking out for each other, caring for each other, bringing our burdens and our pains to one another, loving each other, seeing each other. Gospel fluency. Imagine if we were communities that were defined by gospel fluency, gospel ministry in light of the pain and brokenness that our lack of gospel fluency that we all have and carry exposes. We would be a people who are marked by gospel unity. Fluency, gospel fluency, gospel ministry, gospel unity. And that's the one, if I'm completely honest, because of, because of our cultural climate and the, the way that the last especially 18 months have, have really fractured us, that's the one where if I'm completely honest, I'm like, I don't have a ton of faith for that one. Maybe you feel that way too. And I wanna simply close with these words, which I wanna think, which I wanna very quickly mention something that I think is so important. When we read the scriptures, context is everything. What is context, 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 essentially. Like location, location, location with real estate, context, context, context with, with scripture. The letter to the Ephesians, and I feel the caffeine kicking in. I'm going to keep it brief. Letter to the Ephesians, it's about gospel unity. It's about unity. If you read it, I encourage you to go read it today when you get home. Listen to it in your drive to work tomorrow. Unity, you can't get away from it. It's people, God bringing people together under one head, Jesus. And it's to that beautiful gospel proclamation that Paul writes these words. And I want to pray these. I want to like read them and pray them over our church. Paul says this. It's Paul's prayer for spiritual power. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And he says, I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit. And that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And again, I talked about this a little bit last week. These letters are written not, it's not don't think like individually like you, think y'all. That y'all may be rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and the width and the height and the depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you can be filled with all the fullness of God. And then these words are really famous. And I want you to think about Paul saying this about gospel unity. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all we ask or think according to the power that works in us, in us together, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever, amen. In other words, gospel unity, there's power for it. It's a part of the gospel. If we don't have it, it's actually do we have the gospel itself. But because we do have the gospel, this is possible. And Paul actually prays that it would happen. So Father, I pray for this beautiful community that's been through so much along with the rest of the world over the last 18 months. I pray that we would be communities, gospel communities, church of gospel communities really defined by gospel unity, gospel ministry, and gospel fluency, that those would all dovetail into each other in such a way where we, are mature, where we become mature 
that this season of suffering that we've been in would actually lead to maturity. We can't grow without hard times. They're here. They've been here. We've been in them. And I pray that you would grow us together in love. Knit us together. Would we have deep roots in the love of Jesus as we become gospel fluent, as we develop gospel love more and more of it. It's already here. We develop more of it. Would we be a gospel, a, a people who are gospel united? I think I just made that up. Gospel unity would mark us in such a way that the, the world would be like, I don't know what this is, but I'm interested because this speaks to what I want, but I don't know how to find it. A family around Jesus. We love you, Father, and we thank you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay. If, if anybody wants prayer, our prayer team will be here for a little bit longer, so you can go get prayer. If not, please go grab your kids. We love you.